Well, good morning, everybody. It is so good to see you all here this Sunday. For those out on the patio, we're just thrilled that you're here uh, on campus worshiping with us. We'll see you out on the patio when we're finished inside here. And for those joining us online, a special welcome to all of you. Before we open up God's Word, I want to take a moment to thank all the men who were here yesterday for our Man Up event. Wasn't that very special? Wasn't that just an incredible time? Thank you, Phil, for sharing your heart, an important message. Uh, it, it was just an amazingly powerful time yesterday. And thank you for your vulnerability, for loving us uh, as fellow men, and for sharing about the, the difficulties, uh, and some unimaginable difficulties that he's gone through, and that uh, we as a family, a church family, get to uh, walk together through uh, as a church family. So, Phil, um, it was amazing yesterday. So, thank you all for being here, men. Um, I want to invite you all to open up to the book of Mark, chapter 12. I'm going to read today's passage in its entirety, and I'll pray for us, and then we'll get into God's Word. Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. And I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation. Mark, chapter 12, starting in verse 13. Later, the leaders sent some Pharisees and supporters of Herod to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested. Teacher, they said, we know how honest you are. You are impartial and you don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. Now tell us, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus saw through their hypocrisy and said, why are you trying to trap me? Show me a Roman coin and I'll tell you. When they handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Let's pray. Father, as we unpack this important passage, Father, would you open up our hearts? Lord, would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see? Help us to be transformed by your word today. Help us to be more like Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. On the surface, it would appear that this passage is instructions about paying taxes. Now, I'm going to say this. It's good to pay taxes. It doesn't feel good, but it's good, right? It's important to pay taxes. As followers of Jesus Christ, it is our responsibility as citizens to pay taxes. But as we unpack this passage, we're going to discover that it goes so much deeper, much, much deeper than the subject of taxes. There's a much bigger issue at hand here in this passage. The title of this morning's message is, get ready, God and Government, the heart of the matter. Let's all take a deep breath now. God and Government, 
the heart of the matter. We are currently in Act 3 of this three-act drama that Mark has laid out for us in his gospel. If you were here last week, you might recall we said that this entire final act takes place in a one-week period. Eight days, actually, to be exact. It started on Palm Sunday when Jesus made his entrance into the city of Jerusalem. And then it continued into Friday where he was crucified. And then into Sunday when he rose from the grave. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on the colt of a donkey. As he rode in, there was a parade for him. People lined the streets, and they began taking off their garments and laying them on the dirt ground along with palm branches. And they started shouting. They shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means, please, save, save us now. But Jesus, as he rode in, had a heavy heart. His heart was heavy because he knew before the end of the week, those shouts of Hosanna would turn into jeers of crucify him. Crucify him. That was Sunday. The next day, Monday, Jesus cursed the fig tree. And then he made his way into the temple. And what happened in the temple? He overturned tables. Because people were using the house of prayer as a den of thieves. People were using God's house for their own selfish gain. And it was at that point on Monday when the religious leaders began to plot to kill Jesus. But they held off because the crowds were still so amazed at Jesus' teaching. So the religious leaders were afraid to kill Jesus that day. On Tuesday, the next day, Jesus told a parable that would indict the religious leaders and add to their hatred of him. If you were here last Sunday, we looked at that parable in detail, didn't we? And it was the parable of the wicked tenant farmers who brutally attacked or killed all the servants who were sent by the owner of the vineyard to collect rent. One by one, these servants were sent by the owner, and one by one, the tenants, the wicked farmers, attacked, beat up, or killed these servants until the owner said, I've got one more person to send, my beloved son. And we learned last week that the word beloved means only son. So the owner of the vineyard sent his only son to the vineyard, and the tenant farmers murdered him, and threw his body out of the vineyard. That was Tuesday. Later that day, Jesus was approached by two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And that's the passage that we just read. This comes on the heels of the farmer's throwing the son out of the vineyard. And so Jesus is approached by these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now we're told that the leaders are the ones who sent these two groups. These are the religious leaders. And this group of religious leaders was known as the Sanhedrin. 
The Sanhedrin at that time was the supreme ruling court, the supreme ruling council. And they oversaw all the affairs, religious, civil, criminal affairs. And it was this group, the Sanhedrin, who sent the Pharisees and the Herodians to trap Jesus. Now, why the Pharisees? Well, because the Pharisees, they held to a strict code. They had these deep traditions, and they did not like Jesus because Jesus threatened all their traditions. So the Pharisees, they were happy to go and trap Jesus. They didn't like Jesus. But there was another group, the Herodians, who were sent. And what's interesting about the Herodians is that the Herodians and the Pharisees, they didn't like each other. They didn't like each other at all. The Herodians, they were, well, followers of Herod, King Herod. And King Herod was known as the king of the Jews. Now, what's interesting about Herod is this. Herod, Jewish by birth, worked for the Roman government. The Roman government occupied and they ruled over the Jewish population at that time. And they were considered an oppressive government. And the Roman government, they didn't want the Jewish community to rise up and revolt. They wanted the Jewish community to stay quiet. So they hired Herod to be the middleman. So you might call King Herod the puppet king of the Roman government. Rome hired Herod to keep the Jewish population as happy as possible so they would not revolt. And so the Herodians were sympathetic to the Roman government. And so it was these two opposing groups the Pharisees and the Herodians who were sent together. The Pharisees did not like the Herodians because the Pharisees could not stand the Roman government. They were oppressed by the Roman government. The Herodians, they followed a leader who worked for the Roman government. So these two groups are sent by the Sanhedrin, the ruling supreme court, to trap Jesus. Are you familiar with the phrase, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. The idea is this, that you have two parties who would otherwise have nothing in common. They work together to try to defeat a common enemy. And we see this in war. We see this in politics. So these two groups, enemies, in all other areas, were sent to trap a common enemy, Jesus. And it begins with flattery. Teacher, we know how honest you are. You are impartial. You don't play favorites. You teach the way of God truthfully. That's just empty flattery. Now, the irony is that's all true. <laughs> that's absolutely true. They just didn't hold to that. They wanted to trap Jesus. Now, do you know what the intention of flattery is? The intention of flattery is manipulation. There's always a hidden agenda to empty flattery. That's why empty flattery is really unattractive. 
It really is unattractive. And it was clear that they were trying to trap Jesus. So they asked him, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And they are so impatient, they ask it again. Should we pay them or shouldn't we? Jesus, give us a yes or no answer. You know, they were tired of Jesus' parables. They're like, no more parables. Yes or no. Now, we're going to talk about their question, the question itself in just a minute. But the reality is this. They were not interested in the answer. They were not interested at all in the answer. You see, they didn't go to Jesus to learn about taxes. They didn't go there to gain more insight so that they can grow personally. They went there to get ammunition to use against Jesus. We see this happen all the time in campaigns. In political campaigns, candidates are asked a question and that question or the answer to that question will eventually be used against the candidate later on. Polarizing questions are often asked to make the candidate less popular amongst the followers. And that was part of the tactic that the Pharisees and the Herodians brought with them when they trapped or tried to trap Jesus. This was their agenda. If Jesus says, yes, pay your taxes to Caesar, then this would upset many of Jesus' followers because many of his followers could not stand the Roman government. In particular, there was a political group. And by the way, you know, we talk about politics all the time here, especially in our day and age. Uh, there was so much politics going on in the New Testament. There was a political group at that time known as the Zealots. And the Zealots tried to incite the Jewish people to rebel against the oppressive Roman government. The zealots, they were ready to rumble. They wanted to take up arms and fight the Roman government. And many of these zealots, they started following Jesus because in their minds, they're thinking, oh, here's the new king and he's going to come and lead us into a revolt against the oppressive Roman government. So these zealots, they thought their king was going to be a political king. And so if Jesus answered, yes, pay your taxes, the zealots who followed Jesus and all those who couldn't stand the Roman government, they would be like, no, 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 we don't like Jesus anymore. Now, if Jesus said, no, don't pay your taxes, then he would have been charged. Criminal charges would have been brought against Jesus. So really, in a sense, I mean, it was like a no-win situation when you look at it that way. But Jesus knew it was a trap. He knew they were not genuine. And so Jesus was not going to answer on their terms. Their question was not sincere, so it did not deserve a sincere answer. Instead, Jesus says, 
show me a Roman coin. Some of your translations will say a denarius. A denarius was a silver coin. It was about the amount of one day's worth of wages for a laborer at that time. Not a whole lot of money. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. When they, the Pharisees and Herodians, handed it to him, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? Caesar's, they replied. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His reply completely amazed them. Now what's pretty ironic is uh, the Pharisees and Herodians, especially the Pharisees, they, they give Jesus a coin. They, they gave him a denarius. Think about the significance. They can't stand the Roman government, but they're using the Roman money. They had one on them, so they give it to Jesus. Remember earlier I said, this passage isn't really ultimately about paying taxes. Okay? It's not really about that. Sure, there are parts of it, but ultimately there's a much bigger issue at hand. You see, the specific tax mentioned at that time it's what we would call a poll tax, P-O-L-L. A poll tax or a, um, a head tax is a flat, uniform tax. So no matter what tax bracket you're in, everybody once a year would pay a poll tax. And it wasn't a whole lot of money. Here's the thing. The poll tax was much more symbolic than anything else. It reminded people of the dominance of the Roman government. And for most in the Jewish community, it was blasphemous. I want to show you a picture of a denarius. You'll see the front and the back. On the front is an image, the head of the ruling emperor at that time, Tiberius Caesar Augustus. And on the front, there is an inscription. When translated, it reads like this. It says, Tiberius Caesar Augustus, son of the divine Augustus. So Tiberius succeeded his stepfather Caesar Augustus. So he's considered, Tiberius is considered the son of the divine. And that's important to note. On the back, the inscription reads Pontifex Maximus, which is translated high priest. And so at that time, the ruling emperor was considered the high priest. And in this case, that was Tiberius. For the Jewish community, this was blasphemous. It was a symbol of foreign domination. And this angered so many in the Jewish community. In fact, at one point in its history, there was a revolt against the Roman government. And the leader of that revolution was killed by the Roman government. You can read about that in your Bibles in Acts chapter 5. 
verse 37. If you want to jot that down, read that later. That's Acts chapter 5, verse 37. But here's the thing. The Sanhedrin, who sent the Pharisees and the Herodians, ultimately, they didn't care about the issue of the poll tax. It was just a controversial issue that they wanted to use to trap Jesus. They weren't seeking the truth. The Sanhedrin, they weren't seeking the truth. The Pharisees, they weren't seeking the truth. The Herodians, they weren't. None of these three groups was seeking the truth. They were all so entrenched in what we today might call their echo chambers. In the last two years, we talked a lot about echo chambers, didn't we? You know, for them, the truth didn't matter. They just were so entrenched in their own echo chamber. I want to give you a definition of echo chamber. An echo chamber is this. It's an environment in which a person encounters only beliefs or opinions that coincide with their own so that their existing views are reinforced and alternative ideas are not considered. So you're just there with your group and just everything's just bouncing off the walls and you're like, yes, yes, I agree, I agree, I agree. Are you familiar with the uh, social media algorithms? Did you know that the internet knows what you're thinking? It really does. Uh, you know, if I do an online search for a product, that product mysteriously shows up in my Facebook feed like five minutes later. How do they know that? How do they read my mind? The internet just keeps feeding us stuff. That's why they call it a feed, a news feed, a social media feed. We're like little babies. And we are spoon-fed the things that we like, the things that we agree with, and the things that we will ultimately post on our Facebook pages and link it for the world to see. It's trying to change people's minds to come over from the dark side to our side, whatever the dark side is and whatever our side is. In 2020, when we were in the thick of all the tensions, it was stressful. It was so stressful for me to go on social media. I'm sure that's the case with many of you. It was so stressful that every time I was about to look at Facebook, I had to take a deep breath. <sighs> what am I going to read now? That's how I approached Facebook in 2020. That's why, thankfully, you know, every now and then there was like a humorous post that got me to chuckle here and there. One of them went like this. Dear person passionately pushing your political agenda on Facebook. Congratulations, you have convinced me to change my vote. Thank you for helping me see the light. Sincerely, no one. <laughs> I like that one. I needed that laugh during that season. Now, having said that, I do believe if we are open to the Spirit's leading, our views on our world, politics, 
the issues of the, issues of the day, I believe our views on all those things, if we are led by the Spirit, can and must mature and even involve change so that we look more like Jesus. I've seen that happen in my own life over the years. As we mature in our faith, how we view our world and politics and the issues, they can and they must mature and even change. Just don't expect that to happen on Facebook or Twitter. Okay, just save your breath, okay? Don't try to argue people over to your side, whatever your side is. And speaking of sides, Jesus didn't take sides. Did you know that? As much as people like to think, Jesus didn't take sides. People often ask, was Jesus political? And the answer is, yes. If by political you mean Jesus cared about people and issues. You see, the word political comes from polis. Polis means of the city, of the people. Jesus cared about people. Jesus cared about the issues of the day. But Jesus was not partisan. I repeat, Jesus was not partisan. He did not take sides. Sadly, over the years, too many Sunday worship services and prayer meetings have been turned into political rallies. And that's on both sides. Sometimes pastors will invite politicians to their churches to stand on the very stage where the Word of God is preached to promote their agenda. That is dangerous. That is dangerous. It's okay to associate with a given party. It's okay to register with that party. It's okay to vote the way we vote. Just don't equate that with your identity in Christ. And don't confuse that for your identity in Christ. Remember, Jesus did not take sides. And it might surprise some of us here this morning to know that there was political diversity amongst the disciples. Have you ever thought about that? Probably not. But there was absolutely political diversity amongst the disciples. Why do I know that? How do I know that? Well, in Matthew's gospel, he lists the disciples. And he does something very fascinating. And he does this intentionally. He goes out of his way to do this. He lists the disciples, and with some of the disciples, he actually gives them a description. So you can read about this in Matthew 10 later. So about himself, he says, Matthew, the tax collector. There's no reason why he had to do that, but he wanted the world to know, I, Matthew, the tax collector. And then later on, he says, Simon, the zealot. This is a different Simon, not Simon Peter. Okay, this is Simon the zealot. We just talked about zealots, didn't we? A few minutes ago. This was significant because the zealots, they worked against the government. The tax collectors worked for the government. One author suggests this. 
Simon was a small government guy who thought the state should keep out of people's business. While Matthew was a big government guy who made a career out of collecting taxes for the state. Pretty interesting. At the very least, at the very least, Matthew and Simon came from different political backgrounds. But here's what's amazing. They were friends. They were partners. And oh yeah, they were disciples of Jesus. I want to read to you a quote, an insightful quote. I'm going to read this twice to let it sink in, and you can follow along up on the screen. It says this, We should feel at home with people who share our faith but not our politics even more than we do with people who share our politics but not our faith. If this isn't our experience, then we may be rendering to Caesar what belongs to God. I'm going to read that again. We should feel at home with people who share our faith but not our politics even more than we do with people who share our politics but not our faith. If this isn't our experience, then we may be rendering to Caesar what belongs to God. And that brings us to the heart of the matter. I mean, after all, that's the title of my message, right? God and government, the heart of the matter. Here's the heart of the matter. And I'll begin with Jesus' own words. Jesus says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. What does that mean for us? In 2022, what that means is that we are to give to the government what belongs to the government. And then we give to God what belongs to God. And we're going to examine the first part of that. Give to the government what belongs to the government. We're going to examine that by looking at four passages in the New Testament. I'm just going to read them one after another. So you can follow along up here on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Romans 13, 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Romans 13, 7. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes and government fees to those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those who are in authority. And finally, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people, Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Here's the heart of the matter. Part one. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are to obey our government leaders, respect and honor them, and pray for them. That is God's calling for us. Obey our government leaders, 
respect and honor them, and pray for them. And I know the reality is this. These passages are so hard to accept when we don't like our government leaders, when you don't agree with your government leaders. No government is perfect. Local, state, federal, no government is perfect. In fact, most governments are far from perfect. You know, governments will always be imperfect for one reason. One reason only. Governments are run by people. I didn't say of a certain party. Governments are run by people. And as long as governments are run by imperfect people for imperfect people, they will be imperfect. By the way, when Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and when Paul and Peter said, submit and obey and show honor and respect, did you know that the Roman government was considered as corrupt as any government? In fact, today, scholars say the Roman government was the worst government in the history of the world. Here's something for us to think about today. When Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, what he was saying really is, pay taxes to the government who's going to use your tax dollars to crucify me. In essence, that's what he said. As citizens, there are ways that we can participate in government. There are ways that we can affect change through our actions. But we want to consider the greater good whenever we act. We want to keep the greater good in mind. Something that I've observed over the years, and we're talking over the many, many years. Okay, I've been through many election cycles. And so don't try to guess who I'm talking about here, okay? Don't try to guess which candidate, which politician, which president, which governor, which official, okay? Because I can go all the way down through history. Something that I've observed over the years is that oftentimes those within the church, Christians, can be very honoring when they like a president or a governor or an official. The minute someone from the other party steps in, honor disappears. That, my friends, is not biblical integrity. If a person were to hear our conversations about politics or read our social media sites about politics without knowing that we are followers of Jesus Christ, would that person be shocked to then find out that we profess Christ? As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to obey our government leaders, respect and honor them, 
and pray for them. Pray for them. I didn't say pray against them. It can be so tempting to play favorites when we pray. I admit, it's easy to pray for people I like. And it's so tempting to preach against people I don't like in my prayers. When we approach God's throne, we ought to approach it with a humble spirit, a humble posture, because only then does it change the way we pray. It guards us from praying against, or praying, I'm sorry, for our own agenda. Obey our government leaders, respect and honor them, pray for them. I want to share an experience that I had that will hopefully encourage all of you. It was, in fact, two experiences that took place two weeks from each other during the height of the pandemic. We were right in the thick of the pandemic, and during that period, I had to go visit two medical professionals. I had office visits, just routine type of things. Two medical professionals, they didn't know each other, independent, but they're my regular medical professionals. So I had to go to each of them, and they, were, they just happened to be two weeks apart from each other, right at the height of the pandemic. So I got to the first office, and then later on I got to the next one, and when I stepped in, okay, first of all, they know that I'm a pastor. So every time I go there over the years, they ask me, oh, so how's church going? How are you doing? And so this time, this was the first time I went back to those medical offices, you know, since the pandemic had started. And so in each case, the medical professional, the doctors, they asked me, Tim, how are you doing? Tim, how's your church doing? What they really meant to say, I think, was, what is your church doing? They were really curious. In other words, what's your church's approach in the pandemic? Because I'm sure they'd watch the news and they hear stories about various churches and the different responses by certain churches. And I'm sure they read about uh, certain churches defying mandates. And so they, they were very curious. They asked me, Tim, what's your church doing? And so those visits were long because they were really curious. And so I, I told them, I said, well, you know, from day one of the pandemic, our church's approach has always been to be the best possible neighbor we can be in our community and to honor the directives of our government leaders. You know what they both said to me? both independent of each other, said, Tim, thank you. Tim, thank your church for me. And the best part, one of them said, Tim, what's your church's website? I want to go watch a service. The church looks more like Christ when we are giving away rather than demanding our way. So, if we are to give to Caesar, 
what belongs to Caesar. Our obedience, respect, honor, our prayers. Then what's the second part of that? What are we to give to God? And this is where people who misinterpret this passage, they, they don't understand the message. They, they miss the point. Some people think, oh, then what we give to God is, once we pay Caesar, we give him his percentage, we pay God, we give him the rest of our money. Or, you know, a percentage of it. That's not it at all. That's not the message here. So what do we give to God? What do we owe God? What belongs to God? The answer is this. We give God our hearts. We give God our hearts. When Jesus asked the Pharisees and the Herodians, whose image is stamped on the coin? And they answered rightly, Caesar's, Tiberius Caesar's. Church, the question for us is this, whose image is stamped on our hearts? God's image. We belong to God. God created us in his image, Genesis tells us. So, if God's image is imprinted on my heart, I ought to give God my heart. No government and no political party deserve our hearts. They deserve our obedience, our respect, our honor, and they need our prayers. But no government and no political party deserve our hearts. Only Jesus is worthy of our hope and trust. That's the message of Mark 12, 13 through 17. Would you bow with me? Father, your image is imprinted on our hearts. As such, you are deserving of our hearts. You've called us to obey our government leaders, to respect and honor them, to pray for them. Lord, we don't always agree. We don't always agree with our leaders. And Lord, there are ways also that you've given us to affect change, to participate. But help us to keep in mind the greater good. Lord, help us to be reminded today through your word to give back to Caesar what belongs to him. And to give back to you to give back our hearts, because our hearts belong to you. Only Jesus is worthy of our hope and trust, and so we put our trust in him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.